Welcome to the Banker Midweek, your weekly look at what the industry is talking about, offering information bankers like you need to know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Banker Midweek. And today, your midweek editors are myself, Liz Lumley, and John Everington. Hello, John. Hello, Liz. Thank you very much. I always love having you on because whenever I'm tired, you talk a lot. So you're my <laughs> you're my go-to person when I have a lot on. So um, as listeners know, the Banker Midweek is our weekly discussion of stories live on the Banker site and newsy bits that will influence our future stories. So let's start with some stories that are live on the Banker site right now. So this is one that's interesting, which is an interview uh, from one of our contributors, James King. The World Cup's socioeconomic legacy will continue to shape Qatar's future. So this is an interview with Sheikh Ali Alawid Al Tahini, CEO of the Investment Promotion Agency of Qatar. That's Althani, Liz. That's Thank you very much. It's not an ingredient in hummus. It's Althani. Very important. I am the world's worst. I thought I'd get it very close, but I really I appreciate you correcting me. Thank you so much. And I'm going to go to you in a second because everyone knows you are our uh, Middle Eastern and African editor. I mean, it was I love James um, and of course, we all know with the World Cup, there was a lot of controversy around how Qatar got the World Cup in the first place. Um, and it was a rather rosy view of uh, interview about, uh, you know, it was very, it was very happy, <laughs> kind of fluffy kind of uh, Q&A. And there's been a lot of stories that we've, we've focused on in that region about diversification. So since you are our regional expert, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, of course, I mean, Sort of, it was the interview with the head of uh, the investment promotion promotion agency of Qatar. So obviously, they're going to sort of like kind of put forward the sort of the case for investing in Qatar and to like put out a particular view and such, which I mean they're very entitled to do. James has a, has his story um, on the sort of on the broader eco- economy, which is going to be coming up um, on the website before too long and is going to appear in the magazine in June, where he says that I mean, okay, the Qatar has been kind of building up to the economy sorry, to the World Cup for some time uh, in 2022, um, did a fairly decent job of hosting it by all accounts. There are plenty of questions, of course, um, which you mentioned about how they kind of got the World Cup and some of the sort of the human rights issues which um, are there. I mean, the diversification strategy is has been, it, it's a recurrent theme across sort of like kind of the GCC, um, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, um, and and other states sort of who've kind of hitherto relied on oil um the diversification strategy is i mean it's it, it is producing some results within qatar um i think sort of very i think we're still kind of a long way away from kind of re- i mean ending that that reliance on hydrocarbons i think that's just a fact really so i mean but then again qatar is in a sort of is in a very kind of privileged position in the sense that it's got a very small population, but then it sits on um, the North Field, which is, I think, the largest gas field in the world. So it's, I mean, they can talk all they like about diversification, and they do, I mean, they do want to kind they're of attract... They're sitting on a gold mine. They are sitting on a gold mine, essentially. So, I mean, the sort of the prerogative there is not as acute as it is in Saudi Arabia, which has a much larger population, and also countries like Bahrain um, and Oman, where the sort of where the sort of the reserves are much smaller, and they sort of and they really have no choice but to sort of go down the diversification route. So yeah, that's I mean it has to be read in that context. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I'm going to move on to we cannot go a week without talking about crypto and uh, 
central bank digital currency. The crypto so overlords will not permit us. It's the law. It's the law now. But there, there are three stories that kind of caught my eye that are on the site right now, and which one is uh, titled, headlined, Do We Need the Digital Euro? So the, 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 e, the ECB's proposed central bank digital currency um, is, uh, is, uh, is, is, is uh, in development right at the moment, but people still have privacy concerns, um, and they're looking at stable coins as well. And I'm just going to go through these three um, sort of quickly before we, we make a comment on them. There's also our, our tech vision for this month uh, is the founder of the Digital Economy Initiative, um, and um, she's a former lawyer for, for J.P. Morgan. Um, and although she takes a very sort of sober and very academic view of, of crypto, um, and, and she, you know, she writes about one of the reasons why she founded the Digital Economy Initiative is she wanted to make sure just because it's crypto doesn't mean it's bad. And there's a lot of sort of uh, 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 there's a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity for the traditional banking world to get into crypto. But she even brings up um, the privacy concerns with central bank digital currencies. We all know, listeners, listeners to the Banker Midweek, how I feel about that libertarian bent, but we'll get to that in a second. And then we have riding the crest of tokenization wave, which is from uh, Anita Hauser, sort of looking at um, concerns around, um, it's no secret that banks were initially skeptical of digitally native assets such as cryptocurrencies, as they saw them as being too volatile, but they are now quickly understanding the technology itself and how it would be helpful to traditional businesses. And sometimes you see... Um, in, in crypto Twitter, people making uh, proclamations of everything will be tokenized. Your child will be tokenized. Your mm -hmm. dog will be tokenized. We're just going to live in a tokenized future coming in um, uh, coming in soon. It's very interesting to me. I've seen the rise of crypto from the very beginning. And mm -hmm. um, I, I know that our, our, our leader, Joe McKnight, has told me not to swear, so I'm going to use a different word. But when I first started writing about um, crypto and Bitcoin, Someone said it's the perfect combination of um, anarchy and and fu, right? So like, <laughs> but it's that that world which was very anti-establishment. Now that the actual sort of infrastructure of, of crypto and the uses of it are being um, investigated by the traditional financial services industry, there seems to be a lot of tension around that happening, mm -hmm. um, which I think is f actually fueling the central bank digital currencies will control what type of sandwich you buy, type of nonsense that comes out of people. <laughs> but um, I don't know what your thoughts about all this are. It is an interesting um, sort of intersection, isn't it? I mean, mm. so I think sort of, I mean, of course, last year's crypto winter was a massive wake up. Mm. I mean, just, I mean, I think for the crypto firms themselves and also, I mean, and and for regulators as well, just sort of like kind of okay, this is this has grown to a scale where I mean, really, sort of consumer protection really needs to be sort of put in place. So mm. it is interesting. I mean, the sort of uh, the sort of the gentleman from uh, the Digital Euro Association and uh, the Frankfurt School um, Blockchain Center talking about um, the sort of the proposed digital euro. Really, just asking, okay, what are the use cases? Is it really important? And I mean, Europe has been taking its time to kind of build up mm. its kind of its regulatory approach, and it's and still hasn't sort of decided to decided to go ahead or not. So, so I think that sort of I know that kind of I mean, the Europe the Europeans have their particular approach on this, kind of like to move very very slowly and deliberately on it. So, but it's it's indicative that it's sort of okay, well, okay, what it, what is this actually for? 
And mm. I mean, what's what's the primary purpose for it? I mean, I think some, and sometimes that that's still the question that we always have to ask ourselves, isn't it? It's like, okay, what's what's the darn thing for? I mean, you're not. I mean, <laughs> digital money. <laughs> this is digital money. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, All right. Looking oh, well, at people who are tax cheats. Mm. Okay, I don't think enough. But I mean, it's interesting. I think the last time we did the bank of midweek, we did it on LinkedIn Live, and it was um, during the crypto digital asset summit mm-hmm. that FT Live did. And um, I don't think someone had said this quote to me before we did our bit. But my favorite um, chat moment from it wasn't on stage. It was someone I was having a conversation with about that event was crypto exists so libertarians will understand the importance of regulation. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good way of putting it. Very good. Which is moving on. So, yeah, but before we move off of the banker side, I just wanted to point out to our audience uh, to give a shout out to Anita Hauser, who is conducting interviews at the EBRD in Uzbekistan. She has a number of view from videos which are live on the site right now so check those out so now we're going to oh my god other sources of insight and information all you need is the banker people um but anyway in the ft this week um again the continuing we will never get away from just like crypto the banking saga the turmoil in u.s banking so um silicon valley bank's new owner First Citizen is suing HSBC, which bought the UK arm of Silicon Valley Bank, over the hiring of bankers. The lawsuit alleges it was targeted by a scheme to plunder more than 40 employees after the banks collapsed. Um, The new owner of Silicon Valley Bank is suing HSBC, uh, scheme to plunder and uh, confidential information. So David uh, Sabau, a senior executive at SGB in the U.S., joined HSBC within days of the U.K. deal. Um, I mean, it's very interesting. I don't think the HSBC, although they famously bought the U.K. arm for a pound, mm-hmm. wouldn't have bought the bank unless they were going to get a return on their investment. And mm-hmm. um, kind of poaching some of the, the, the choice people that they wanted was uh, obvious that this would happen. Um, but interesting to see whether this... Uh, lawsuit has any legs or it will go any further. Mm, indeed. Forward. Yep, yep. And then sort of connected to that in a, in a side thing, we all know um, the the other big sort of U.S. bank, which went down First Republic, which was bought by J.P. Morgan, they've just announced uh, plans to uh, a, spending scru- a spending spree of $15.7 billion on new initiatives. And a lot of people are pointing to this as evidence that there are forces, dark forces at play, that are trying to consolidate the the very famously fragmented um, U.S. banking industry. So we'll have very, very small banks in the U.S. and very, very large banks that control everything. It's J.P. Morgan's world. Indeed. I mean, it's. I mean, they're really. They've really grasped their moment, haven't mm. they? With this sort of the First Republic um, sort of acquisition, and they're really sort of. I kind of. I think they sort of. They're reading the times, just saying, okay, this is a very big opportunity for us to sort of to really kind of to press forward mm. and so and press our advantage, and so hence this ma- hence this massive investment. It's 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 a very interesting move. Mm. It's I just I, I mean I just it's always uh, J P Morgan. It's like it's kind of the way I think people used to view Goldman Sachs in the '90s. They just have so much money, and everyone is just watching to see the moves that they make. Um, it also pointed out a little bit about uh, it quoted. This is the FT article, Marianne Lake 
co-head of the bank's consumer and community division. Her business unit is expected to, to spend about uh, almost almost $8 billion on new investments. She is one of the names that is touted as a possible successor to Jamie Dimon. Mm-hmm. So we'll have another uh, female head of a global bank. Although Jamie does say that on this investing day, he says that he's not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> so we'll, we'll watch the space on the front. <laughs> it's like Prince Charles all over again. He's <laughs> waited a very, very long time. Um, so now we're going to go a little bit about um, something that's been in the news a lot over here which is the e-money company uh, Revolut, which is used by a lot of people uh, for, for travel cards. And, of course, they expanded into crypto wallets, um, and they're looking to expand even more globally. Uh, and they have a lot of drama because they still do not have a U.K. banking license, and it is now rumored that they might never have a U.K. banking license. They have a, a Lithuanian banking license that they use Um They've, they've had a lot of issues. They've had a lot of staff turnover, mm-hmm. especially in very um, critical areas like risk and compliance. Um, they have been late with their audits and their results. Their culture is supposedly not, um, and I'm saying this delicately, not everyone's cup of tea, but they are a high-growth company, and that's what a lot of high-growth companies in the startup space have. Um, and, of course, their CEO has been very public uh, in the media, uh, whining, sorry, I'm I'm very unbiased about Revolut, as you can tell, uh, about uh, that the UK is not a great place for, for fintech startups, and and, uh, and they might just move. And um, I have to apologize to the audience, because I'm probably not a very good, objective person with Revolut. Google me, and you'll find out. Um, but, yeah, if they move... Um, don't let the door smack their ass on the way out. Sorry. <laughs> it's um, it's really interesting. I mean, I was I was um, funnily enough um, with, with some with some friends this this weekend. Friend who works for Google and um, just arrived in the UK relatively recently. And I mean, he was looking around in the country for a number of places to work. I mean, Revolut was definitely an option. So, so I mean, it, I mean, very much kind of has a very kind of high reputation within sort of. I mean, particularly within the, within the IT space in which this guy moves and, I mean, was very interested in going there. So, and, I mean, again, sort of has a sort of a reputation as this kind of, as this very kind of new kind of like, and sort of like... I get it. I get it. I mean, it, I, I have heard that, that the, the IT is very good hmm. and that, you know, the idea of working for a, a high growth, exciting high-valued company is is attractive, is incredibly attractive. But, I mean, I've, I've written about this for many years. I've spoken about this for many years. I've been attacked online on this for many years. This move fast and break things and growth at any cost and growth, at, you know, at the cost of regulations and compliance and profits is not sustainable. Mm. And, I mean, I think this is, this is coming out, I mean, sort of in mm. the discussions that sort of have been reported in the FT and elsewhere, mm. just about um, the sort of the sort of disagreement with regulators, the sort of um, the auditors not being able to sort of like kind of sign off on particular mm. sort of large chunks of revenues. And then also you have that kind of the very sort of the sort of the share structure as well, which I mean has drawn comment um, sort of with kind of SoftBank getting involved mm. and sort of kind of and and sort of regulators in the UK wanting to kind of wanting them to collapse their share structure a bit and then sort of pull back against that or push or, back. Or put in like an Uber and put in a new CEO. Mm. I've heard that a few years ago as well. But yeah. So we'll see. Indeed. We, <laughs> we will see indeed.
For the people that like them. God bless you. All right. So this is one more. We have a wee, we have a wee one for extra time. This isn't technically a banking story, but I put it in because it's all over the news. And also, for many years, it's always been this talk about how big tech is going to kind of disrupt, come into, uh, disrupt traditional banking. So Facebook owner Meta, it's an interesting headline. Is it Meta or is it? Okay, so Facebook is like a pro anyway. I don't know. Uh, hit with a record a one point two billion euro fine over EU US data transfers. Now we all know. Um, I mean, you have to have lived under a rock to not know that Facebook mines all your data for whatever they want to do with it. Um, but now they have had a, a huge fine for this, uh, which is centered in Dublin. And again, this is the idea. You know. This is a story someone told me a very long time ago. This is not about Meta or Facebook. But when Google Wallet launched, they came over to the EU um, and talked to a lot of banks and said, we'll give you this for free if you give us all tr your transaction data. And, of course, the banks went, yeah, no. <laughs> um, and also not, no, it's against the law. Um, so all this idea about that, that small startups or big tech are to come in and disrupt traditional banking, and I'm not sitting here saying traditional banking is perfect and has done wonderful things and they've made a lot of mistakes. These groups tend to vastly underestimate the regulations involved in this industry and mm -hmm. they end up making mistakes like this, which is why I don't see big tech as a huge trader here first. We'll see if Liz is right. Um, for for disrupting traditional banking. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, particularly sort of like looking at Facebook slash Meta. I mean, if we go back a few years back, I think one of the early stories that I covered when I was when I came to the banker was was the launch of Libra or DM. Yeah. Their sort uh -huh. of their payment coin, which kind of launched with a massive slight kind of splash of publicity. And I mean, mm. again, sort of like you were talking about the sort of the move fast and break things. Mm. I think it was an attempt to really kind of go big and really just kind of build momentum behind this this big payment coin that they mm. launched. But I mean, it was one where I suspect the sort of, I mean, the regulators having been caught out, caught out in the past by sort of by, by Meta and others were ready for them this time mm. and saying, oh, no, you don't. Thank you very much. If you do this, it needs to be regulated and sort of we're not going to let you have free reign on this. Mm. And, of course, it got shelved. So, like, kind of within, I think, sort of two or three years, I forget yeah. it. So, yeah. so, so I mean, it's, it's it, we're at an interesting point. I mean, whenever I talk to the banks, I mean, you have, they've, I mean, they'll always bring on kind of people from that tech industry who mm. are kind of who are from that background. They last eighteen months. Sometimes, yeah. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting. The sort of there's the sort of the first flush where the sort of the messages go out. Oh yes, well we're we're gonna we're gonna turn this bank into more of a tech firm and mm. such. But then you kind of think, well, up only up to a point because because I mean it's still a very conservative industry at the yeah. end of the day. So and I mean and quite rightly I would say. So mm. I mean in, in so many facets. Yeah. Because I mean, you're talking about people's monies, you're talking about people's savings, mortgages and such like that. And do you really I mean, I think sort of the view seems to be do you really want a big like kind of tech giant to come in and sort of like kind of run around in, in this area? You're gonna be quite cautious, aren't you? Mm. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice when we agree, <laughs> Thank you, John, so much for joining me on The Banker Midweek. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Banker Midweek, part of the portfolio of podcasts from the editorial team at The Banker, available on thebanker.com and wherever you get your podcast fix. Search on The Banker Podcasts to listen to more.